Good morning, church. I know it was brief, but that's a great time of song and praise and worship, uh, especially that last song, Holy Spirit. You know, we as saints of God must continue to learn. How many people enjoy learning? Learning. It's, It's important, right? And, and it's important to understand that the word of God is imperative, right? It, it's, it's, it's supreme in how we base our theology. Our, our belief system is based on the word. But what if I told you that that's not it? <laughs> There's a little bit more to it than that. It's a song we just sang. Holy Spirit. You see, our spirit needs to witness the Holy Spirit. When we, when we study God's word, when we get into God's word, this is how important the Holy Spirit is. In order for you and I to discern and understand the word and what it is revealing to us, the revelation of whatever truth that we're, 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 we've come across in the word of God, we need the Holy Spirit. What if I told you that you and I should be asking for an indwelling and a filling of the Holy Spirit multiple times throughout the day? We should start every morning. We've obviously we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? That's a one-time thing. But the filling of the Holy Spirit, it's a constant thing. I'm finding myself, when I'm struggling at work, I'm like, Lord, please fill me fresh with the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't, I'm not going to be able to be patient with this person. I'm not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And time and time again, he comes through. So I want to encourage you in that. And it's just... It's, the thought came across my mind as we we sang that song. I also wanted to encourage you that God is in the details. Um, I, I've been hearing a, a lot of messages on Esther in the last couple of weeks. And it's very interesting because when you look at the account of Esther in uh, what we call the Bible, right? There's actual no title of God in that book. And skeptics would be like, see, it's not even supposed to be in the Bible, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if you're not of sound mind and heart in the Holy Spirit, you might subscribe to that theory because many people that believed in Jesus way back in the day, thousands of years ago, they thought the same thing. But the reality is he's hidden in view. Not every miracle is going to be like the Red Sea, right? Where Where the ocean splits or the sea split and they walk on dry land. Not every miracle is going to be like that. Many times the Lord is quietly working out everything and all the details. And, and that, that's what you see in the book of Esther. So I share that this morning because I don't know where you're at. <laughs> and I don't know if you're in a place where you're like, man, I don't feel your presence, Lord. It doesn't seem like you're working things out for me. It's, it's difficult. It's hard. We got to trust that God's in the details. Amen. If the Bible is true, which it is, the Bible says that God is the author and finisher and perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? That means that you and I don't have a hand to play in it. (laughs) If he chose you as part of that remnant and you're chosen, you're predestined to be redeemed, to be with him for eternity, then that means if he started a good work in you, then that means he's going to finish it. He's going to perfect it. He's going to complete it. And we need to hold on to that promise. Like I said, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're on the mountaintop and you're like, man, I'm so on fire for the Lord right now. Or I don't know if you're like, man, I'm in the valley and it's been super difficult and I just need some encouragement. 
I pray that that would encourage you this morning. Amen? Well, this is a very <laughs> difficult passage that we're going to start this morning, but it's, it's true. It's so true. And uh, we'll be in James chapter 3. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 6 this morning. I've entitled this message, Taming the Tongue, Part 1. Taming the Tongue. When you get there, if you could please stand for the reading of God's Word. And then we'll go ahead and pray and get into our text this morning. Once again, James chapter 3, starting in verse 1 down on to verse 6. And it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Those are heavy words. Let's pray. Father God, I, I just pray for a, a great measure of repentance, Lord. May we repent, Lord, of every wayward phrase spoken out of our hearts, Lord. May we be convicted of how we go about communicating to you and to one another. May we invite your correction. Lord, for when we are corrected, we become closer to you. Lord, may we not have hardened hearts in this area, in the passage that we are studying, but may we be soft, moldable, and pliable. Lord, would you reiterate whatever it is that you're trying to get across to us this morning, and may we be willing to live in that and trust in you, for you are the good and holy and righteous one. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. So last week, we looked at what it truly means to have a living and active faith, right? We saw that, uh, that if we claim to have faith in Jesus, the Messiah, to have faith in God, but our faith is not accompanied by good works, it's actually a dead faith that we possess. We know that we're not saved by good works, but good works are a byproduct of a living faith. They go hand in hand. They're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Uh, we were reminded that, even the demons, even the demons, these unclean spirits that have chosen their way, they are, they are hostile towards God and they are, they are not saved. Even the demons profess with their mouths that Jesus, that Yeshua, is the Messiah. But that profession of faith by those demons doesn't make them right with God. So again, it, it reiterates the point of we can have a, a mouth that says this and I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. <laughs> but if we don't have good works, man, 
That's not a good we, we We should be hungry for good works. The, the, the word says that he prepared good works for us to walk in for, from days past. So there, there are things of righteousness that the Lord wants to accomplish through your life. He wants you to walk it out in your faith. And we should be excited to have the Holy Spirit produce these good works within us. Amen. Amen. And we give the glory back to God all the time. We say, praise you, Lord, for the good work you're doing in and through my life. You see, a true living faith will be birthed out of a genuine transformation that takes place within our inner man when we receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We had a couple of examples of this last week. Abraham, in offering up his son Isaac, this was an example of a living faith. You know, we can only imagine what it would feel like to be asked, give this up. <laughs> I, 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 I've promised you this. I promised that you're going to be a father of great nations. You're going to have many descendants. And then I'm 100 years old. And then you tell me, uh, they, the, the, the Bible scholars say, uh, you know, Isaac could have been roughly between 15 and 30. So at that point, he's a strong young man. You know, we never talk about Isaac, but Isaac didn't run. He could have been like, Pops, I'm out. <laughs> I got plans for my life. I'm not being laid down on this altar to be sacrificed. But you see the faithfulness, faithfulness excuse me, of both the father and the son in the fact that Abraham was willing to do it. And he believed that God the father would raise Isaac from the dead if, in fact, he actually did sacrifice his son. That's, again, a type of Christ. We see that way back then. We also saw Rahab, the prostitute, and how she was faithful to bring in the spies. And she did something. In both instances, we see action taking place. It wasn't merely just a word being spoken, right? I talked about this last week where this is the easiest part <laughs> is to talk about it, is to teach it. But even as we get into this, we see that teaching is not a joke either, but it's all about really coming into submission to Jesus Christ in all things, in all places, at all times. Amen. As we get into uh, the scripture this morning, we must remember that a living and active faith is the only thing that will allow us to have the ability to tame the tongue. <laughs> if we have a dead faith, we can forget about taming our tongue, right? And a living faith comes from submission to Jesus Christ. As I prayed this morning, may a genuine repentance flow from our hearts to God for every unrighteous word we have ever spoken. And may we want and desire to walk in the truth and the newness of life, that we would speak words of eternal life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have several main points this morning. And the first one is this. Not many are called to teach the word of God. And a true teacher of the word does not esteem himself into that position. Rather, he, he is called to it. You see, the verse, it starts off, for the first verse, it starts off and it says, not many of you should become teachers. And for great reason. Because teachers, preachers, pastors, if you will, of God's word are held to a greater, stricter judgment. If we go back to James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, be doers of the word, and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves, right? That, that, that's, a, that's a statement that's targeted at all believers. 
right? Let's agree on that. It's targeted all believers. So for the teacher of the word of God or pastor or rabbi, how much more does this apply to them? <laughs> be, a, be a doer of the word. How many pastors, how many teachers, how many rabbis are guilty of teaching and preaching the word of God, but yet their life does not reflect what comes out of their mouth? You cannot live a life apart from Jesus Christ out of fellowship with him and think you are going to teach his word. There is such a stricter judgment upon pastors and teachers of God's word because they of all people should know better and know what it's what is expected of them i'm not saying perfect (laughs) i'm not saying perfect but there should be a level of conscious walking with the lord of clarity in your walk with the lord that you are walking and living above reproach as a teacher of god's word you see the lord will never allow someone to teach others if they have never overcome any of their own battles with sin. <laughs> you, can't be, you can't be struggling with X, Y, and Z and still dipping in X, Y, and Z, but then being like, oh yeah, but I'm over here teaching and preaching. It doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. What do I mean by this? Well, if any teacher of the word of God is falling, living a lifestyle of sin and drunkenness, sexual immorality, gluttony, maybe overeating, maybe maybe food is your sin. <laughs> and it's like, man, I can't stop eating. <laughs> I'm eating all the time, I'm always stuffing my face. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not taking care of the temple of God. I'm just letting myself go and I say, oh, I'm going to get a glorified body. If any teacher uh, uh, of God's word is greedy for money, where, where their mind is on how much, is, how much can I get? How much can I obtain? How much can, can, I, can I receive back to myself? If a teacher of God's word is a lover of self, meaning, meaning in a prideful way, in an egotistical way, that man is not fit for the pulpit. There needs to be clear evidence of victory in the messenger's life over such sins. An example for you, a soldier, take a soldier in the army, right, in the military, and a general in the military. For those of you who have served in whatever capacity in the United States uh, military, you're, you will relate to this. What soldier wants to go into battle with an inexperienced, untrained general, unseasoned has no training whatsoever and has never been in battle. I get there's breakthrough and there needs to be first. Okay, I do understand that. But what I'm, I'm, point, what I'm trying to point out here is who wants to go follow after someone who has no track record? Nothing. You see, there has to be a certain level of spiritual maturity flowing from the man of God who is called to preach and teach the Lord's word. Those who are called into ministry of preaching and teaching the word of God are in fact called to do so. They are specifically placed there with a specific anointing of the Holy Spirit to do so. You see, anyone can't just pop themselves up 
behind a pulpit and start preaching. You can't. And we see the effects of this. You know, some people unfortunately get, they get mesmerized with the idea of, you know, identity. <laughs> well, okay, I'll tell you right now. If my identity is in preaching and teaching, then I've already, I'm already wrong. <laughs> because my identity is in Jesus Christ. This is just one of several things that I do. But this is not my identity. I don't introduce myself and I'm Pastor Keefing. <laughs> I don't even like saying Pastor Keefing to, to, to you guys. When I, when I hang out with Scott at his house, I'm Keefing. When I talk to Daniel, I'm Keefing. I don't run, walk around saying, Pastor Keefing. That's silly. You know, because a, a pastor should be the first one to go clean the toilet. <laughs> right? Servant. Serve in every capacity. But we have this false idea and, and, and we want to prop ourselves up in front of people and think that we're doing something. What did Jesus say? That's, that's all you're going to get if all you want is the applause of men. I don't want that. I serve for an audience of one, for the Lord. You see, maybe some of you know this, maybe some of you don't. But did you know nowadays you can literally go online without any formal training and pay to have a certificate that says you're an ordained minister? You can pay. I think it's like $100, $150. You can pay. And you, all of you can become ordained ministers in the state of California. You just go. And then now you can officiate weddings. That's how you got homosexuals, women doing this. You know, men too, propping themselves up saying, I'm deemed. I'm an ordained minister. You are wed. What? That's not the anointing of El Shaddai. The, 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 the God of all creation, the, the Jewish God of, uh, 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 of, of, of Israel, that's not him. That's a business. We've made it into, again, I talked about it last week, this, this McDonald's kind of faith. You can't just go through a drive-thru and get blessed. That's not how it works. You must be called. The point is this. If you or I or anyone forces their way up to teach and preach, you most likely do not have the anointing or call on your life to teach. I'm not saying that some have a desire and that desire has been put there by God. And I will never refute that. I also know that there are many that are called that it's like, that's the furthest thing from my mind. This was not what I saw myself doing at 44 years old. This is the last thing on my agenda, you know, even when when Pastor Nick was here and he was called to leave. This was not on my mind. I wasn't like, well, how can I become the senior pastor of Resilient Life Church? No, I'm like what? It's not what I'm doing. I was content where I was, but the Lord had other plans and it's his plans that will go forth. Amen. Amen. You see. You could know the information of the Bible cover to cover. But if you aren't anointed to preach and teach, it will be ineffective. Likewise, you could know very little of the word of God. But if you are called to teach and preach, the Lord will open up doors that only he can open and close doors that only he can close. And he will equip you for the good work of preaching and teaching. That is the truth. I've seen it happen not only in my life, but in other people's lives. This is not about all the head knowledge. 
It's so much more than that. And that's where, again, the Holy Spirit comes into a play. Because the Holy Spirit has to work within the vessel in order for things to go the way the Lord wants. That's our first main point. The second is this. We all stumble in many ways. Remember, we just learned that a a living faith is, is dead without works. But we must understand that as James wrote this portion of scripture, he's not requiring perfection at all. He was fully aware that fallible human beings like you and me will never do so without stumbling. We're going to stumble. It's part of life. He included himself in this statement, and that should be encouraging. He, he, didn't, he didn't speak of, uh, you know, you all. <laughs> he said, uh, we all stumble in many ways. One struggle of the Christian life is our awareness of the many ways we continue to stumble. You know, that, that can, that can dra- drag us down. I, 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 I've been there myself, and I've seen other people where they focus so much on where they're failing. It's like, stop coming into agreement with that. <laughs> get back up. <laughs> Repent. Get back up. Come into agreement with the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus Christ offers you. He so much wants you to know yourself in light of who he is, not in light of who you are. If you look at yourself in the light of who you are, you're always going to be discouraged. You're always going to feel like you don't measure up. You're always going to feel like you're not moving fast enough and you're not getting there quick enough. Sometimes we just need to be still and know that he's God and know that he's going to be exalted and that you honor him in his exaltation of himself. You see, our goal should be to stop stumbling and to desire to be in full control of ourselves. We're not there yet, especially when it comes to our words. The sign of a Christian who has arrived at a full faith perfection is one who never stumbles in what they say or how they say it. A perfected believer like this will never say anything that is unkind, hurtful, selfish, proud, rude, or manipulative. Think back on the things you said this week. (laughs) Did any of those things come out? Were you ever unkind? Were you ever hurtful? Were you ever selfish? Were you ever proud, rude, or manipulative? The person that's perfected will only say things that are motivated by faith in God and love for one another. Once we learn to perfectly control our words, we will be in perfect control of every part of ourselves. We will, in fact, be able at that point to have bridled or learn to keep in check our entire body. That's what the portion of Scripture tells us. This is a noble goal that we should aspire to, much like how an athlete, right? I picture Stephen Curry, right? He never wants to miss a shot. I saw something <laughs> on Bleacher Report yesterday. It's actually not funny. I shouldn't be laughing. But he was, it was before, before the game. It was pregame. And he was doing one of those full court shots. And somebody on the other end wasn't paying attention. Man, oh boy, got smacked in the head. Man, that ball went, went all the way up to the roof. And you know that must have hurt. He just got hit hard. But, you know, the whole point is <laughs> Steph Curry doesn't want to miss a shot, right? That's how we should be as Christians, We should aspire to want to control our tongues in such a way that we're not unwholesome things aren't coming out of our mouths. And yet, as both James and the rest of the New Testament make plain, we will never obtain that kind of perfection this side of heaven. We know this from 1 John chapter 1 verse 10, and it says, If we say we have not sinned, 
We make him a liar and his word is not in us. So that's the second main point that all of us stumble in some kind of way. But take heart that he who has overcome sin has overcome the world and you can be whole in him. Amen. The third main point is this. The, tie, the tongue, excuse me, is a fire in a world of unrighteousness. The Bible describes the tongue itself as fire, meaning that it can burn whatever it touches with our words. And uh, like I said, this is a heavy message because the picture isn't pretty. This is a good perspective to keep in mind before we use our words against people <laughs> or, or, or you know, we're, we think we're led to say something. Sometimes it's better to hold our tongue. James describes the tongue as a world of unrighteousness. You see, in our natural sinful state, our words don't just occasionally go bad. Some, the world would like to think that. The world likes to say, oh, it's, you know, the problem isn't you. Just look on the inside <laughs> and you'll be okay. That's exactly a lie from the pit of hell. We are supposed to look outside of ourselves to Jesus Christ. So we look within ourselves, there's nothing good in, within us. The tongue isn't merely one bad apple in the barrel. It is the member in which corrupts all other parts of our bodies. An uncontrolled tongue is responsible for setting the course of our lives on fire and for burning down everything along the way. The tongue, just the little tongue, that little member does so much damage. Trip out on this. The tongue doesn't just burn with its own fire. The fire of destruction didn't originate with us. This is part of the curse. Our tongues are themselves set on fire by hell itself. That's what the scripture says. The word hell here is derived from the Greek name, the Valley of Hinnom. This was a well-known place just out of sight of Jerusalem. Hinnom Valley had been used in the past for human sacrifice. So many bodies were burned alive there. Human sacrifice. It was basically a trash heap because it was associated with garbage, rejection, evil, destruction, and fire. The Valley of Hinnom was often held up as a picture of God's eternal judgment on sin, hell itself. Our tongues, the words we say with them and our lack of self-control are powerfully evil and destructive. It's not a small problem. It's rooted in the fundamental spiritual problems that all people have. Pride and a lack of self-control. So we need to become humble and gain self-control. James makes it clear that the way we use our tongues reveals our true nature. So if we have been born again, if we have been regenerated, then that means that our words should be wholesome. They should be life-giving. We shouldn't be finding ourselves constantly saying things that are tearing people down and destroying people and gossiping and slandering, right? We shouldn't see that. We all know as fallen people, our nature is sinful and destructive. We must be changed. But this is where the glorious hope comes in. This is the glorious hope of Jesus Christ. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any of you is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So everything that I just said, 
in a sense, you can somewhat disregard it because you are a new creation in Christ. You and I just now need to keep ourselves in check and be aware of what we're saying and how we're saying it. That's where self-control comes in. That's where humility comes in. That's where not coming into agreement with pride comes into play. All right, let's go ahead and knock down these verses. So again, verses one and two, it says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Again, this first statement is very sobering for those of us who are teachers of the word of God and any of us who would desire to become teachers within the church. Because we must take the responsibility seriously. There is a heavy-weighted seriousness to preaching the word of God. There is accountability greater, and we will receive a stricter judgment. If one doesn't truly fear God... They're simply not fit to teach God's word. Again, you just can't come up here without being prayed up. But it goes beyond that. It's like you can't just go into that room for 15 minutes and pray and think you're ready to go. (laughs) It's like if you're not living every moment of the day under the awareness that God is the creator of all and you're walking in a way that's circumspect, that you're walking in the fear of the Lord, then you're not fit. There has to be a reverent fear of God upon your life to where you don't want to make dumb choices because you want to honor him. You want to glorify him. You want to walk in the way of him. You want Jesus Christ to become your life. You see, that's that's why I talk about this is not a show. This is not something that we put on. This is this. It's not that this is real life. And what we do outside of here is the same as what we do in here. It should not look different when we go into our homes. Our homes should look the same as how we share what we do here it should not look different it should not look different you see it's easy to take the position of teacher lightly within the church without considering its cost in terms of accountability unfortunately even within the body of christ as i alluded to earlier some just want the status they you know i mean obviously we're not big so we don't do stuff like this, but I've seen churches where it's like, and, and I mean, there's, again, I don't want to become legalistic. So if the pastor has a little parking spot with the plaque, that's fine. It is what it is, but don't get it twisted. You see what I'm saying? Don't get it twisted that your identity is that. And, you know, I got to park here <laughs> or I got to sit here. We're creatures of habit, but, you know, the Lord should be able to shake us up at any moment and be like, no, we're not doing that. And we, as, you know, servants of the Most High, should be willing to do that and not be so stuck in our ways. We should not find our identity in what we do for Jesus Christ, but we should find our identity in Him alone. So many Christians find their identity in what they do. It's like, well, I do this, I do that. They're name dropping all the time. The only name that should be dropping (laughs) is the name of Jesus. I don't care about what so-and-so-and-so ministry you do. I, I, I mean, maybe I'm being harsh right now, but I, I just, I believe that I sense it. And I see it a lot. You know, calling the names of this, that, and the other. And that's cool, but it's like, are we missing the point here? And Are we missing the point? Shouldn't it be about Jesus? 
And if it is about Jesus, shouldn't we come in a humble way? I get we need to tell people, but we should be telling people about Christ and not about so-and-so such a church. Because there's only one church at the end. There's only one church at the end, and it's his church. I don't care about all these names. Rip Resilient Life Church off and we'll just be church. <laughs> really, I don't care. I've thought, I've thought a bunch of times. This, this sticker's already peeling off. I'm, I'm ready to peel it off the pulpit. So I don't care about the logo. God don't care about that logo. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. So real. He cares about his word being brought and his word being received and his word being implanted and his word being lived out. That's what he cares about. He doesn't care about all this other stuff. It becomes superficial and fluff. Jesus warned, we must take seriously the responsibility he has given us for his kingdom. Luke chapter 12, verse 48 tells us plainly. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone who to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. <laughs> so again, I know we're talking about the context of teacher. Maybe not everyone in here is called to teach. But if you are a parent, <laughs> if you are a grandparent, <laughs> same deal. Man, you got little ones you've been entrusted to. That's a great responsibility. And you actually are a teacher because you're teaching these young ones. Some of the most important teachers are the ones that you don't even see in the pulpit. They're the ones that are teaching at home, teaching their kids, living by the example of what to do and what not to do, saying you can watch this, you can't watch this, you can say this, you can't say that. We're all going to be held to a stricter judgment at some point because we all have influence. And that should be sobering for us this morning. It's not something that we should take lightly. It's fun. It's great. We can crack jokes all day long. But at the end of the day, there needs to be a reverent respect for what God has entrusted with you and with me. Amen. I didn't hear any amens. <laughs> That's how you know it's getting raw. Didn't nobody say amen. And that was a time for an amen. <laughs> you see... God's church is more than a matter of having natural or even spiritual gifts. While the anointing of God is essential for the work to be blessed and sanctified, the other side of his anointing is that it can actually be removed from us. We are, if we are living in disobedience to him, he can lift his anointing from us. He can. While I know the gifts of the spirit are irrevocable, his anointing actually is. I know that the gifts are irrevocable because it says it in Romans chapter 11, verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. But just in the same sense, the anointing can be removed. Just look at John chapter 16, verse 1. He goes on to say, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. So why would he say, I'm warning you about this stuff so you don't fall away? That obviously must mean that you could fall away. You could be deceived into thinking you're walking swiftly and fine and everything's all good. And yet you fell away. <laughs> you fell away because we, we must cling to Christ. You see, the anointing of God is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit operating through you to accomplish whatever God 
will be asking you to do for him. And every believer has a measure of anointing upon their lives. So if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, sitting in this chair this morning, you have an anointing upon your life. This is not just for teachers, but we're talking in the context of teachers of the Word of God. But just know that you have an anointing as well from the same God, the one and true living God. Amen. But you see, pride can cause the flow of God's anointing upon someone's life to dry up. Stubbornness leads to pride, and pride left unchecked leads to destruction. The bottom line for all believers, especially in our context about teachers of the Word of God, is this. Submission to the Word, submission to God, is the path to humility. And humility is the path to promotion, meaning exaltation to be lifted up. A continuous walk in humility will cause a double portion of God's anointing to flow into your life. A continuous walk in humility. It's not a once a week thing. It's I'm living my life for Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm humbly seeking him. I want to know him more. I want to be in the presence of God. I want, I want him to bless me. I, I want his anointing to be upon me. And he will give that anointing. <laughs> as long as you and I continue to seek after him and put him first. And he be the desire of your heart. Just like For us, to him, we are uh, the apple of his eye. (laughs) We are the apple of his eye so much that, like Michelle said, he gave his one and only son for you specifically, that you would not perish, but you would have eternal life. It's that same strong desire that we must have of desiring him. That will open up that kind of level of humility that will allow to the, for his anointing to continue to flow within your life and my life. Amen. Amen. You see, remember, the Lord will exalt the humble, <laughs> but he will not work through the pride. I know you know this because I know you see it in your own life. I see it in my own life. When I'm prideful, eh, <laughs> pump the, he pumps the brakes hard on me. But when I humble myself, there is just such a power of God upon my life, and I, I, I experience it, but it comes through humility. I know this is real. It's biblical because we look at the account of Samson. You see, Samson was called and heavily anointed by God to be a judge and deliverer for Israel before he was even born. And as you study the life of Samson, you see a pattern of compromise of his Nazarite call. Though he had a great anointing from God in the area of supernatural strength, Samson did not seem to value it at the time. Samson's continual compromise cost him his anointing from God and resulted in bondage. Though, because God is a good God and a merciful God, when Samson recognized blind in prison, he's like, he cried out to the Lord of Israel the God of all creation. And what did God do? He, has a, he, he allowed his anointing to flow one last time through Samson upon his life and he was able to crush those pillars and everything was done with. But we see the heavy cost that Samson, that Samson paid because he didn't take it serious, the anointing upon his life. The application is this. This is why we are warned about the serious responsibility of teaching the word of God. You see, because God will judge us on the last day with a special strictness on account of our influence over others. 
Because when we have opened our mouths and we open our mouths, when I open my mouth in a setting like this, I have influence. Now, is this influence going to be for life or for death? Is this influence going to be, uh, 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 you know, according to the word of God or my own opinion? You see, and a lot that teach the word of God nowadays, man, they, they're talking about a whole lot of stuff that's not in this Bible. And they're going to be held accountable. But also those who are faithful, faithful, we will be rewarded. You know, you will be rewarded. It's not about receiving accolades here. You know, I've, I told you guys about this. I, I stopped asking Veronica years ago. We'll be married 10 years now. I don't know how long I've been teaching, but, you know, I stopped asking her. I don't ever ask her, how, how did the sermon go? <laughs> that just doesn't fly well. There's no reason to ask. It's not about that. It's not about what she thinks. It's about what the Lord thinks. This is why teachers of the word of God must truly live above reproach. Also, they must let the Lord place them into that position of stewardship, not put themselves there. So many people are prompting themselves up, putting themselves in a position of of influence and authority, and it should not be so. Allow the Lord to do it. (laughs) Allow the Lord to move you into the place that he wants you to be. Again, greater, stricter implies degrees of treatment at the judgment seat. There's going to be different levels. There's going to be different uh, harshnesses of, of, of the judgment. And we see here, for we all stumble in many ways. The greater accountability of teachers is, is especially sobering in the light of our common weaknesses. We're all weak. I'm super weak. <laughs> I can do nothing apart from Christ. Had a conversation you know, something happened. I won't get into the details, but somebody at my work, an older lady, she said, oh, you're such a good man. I said, I'm a wicked man. <laughs> I said, it's the Holy Spirit in me that's good. Whether or not they understand what I'm saying, I tell them because don't don't think I'm. <laughs> that's like, uh, well, I don't want to go there because, you know, someone's going to tell Veronica and then I'm going to have to deal with it later. <laughs> but I'll, I'll just say this. I remember a long time ago, her mom said, you, 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 you better, you, you're lucky that uh, Veronica's saved. <laughs> I said, yeah, I get it. <laughs> we wouldn't have lasted long if we were both unsaved people and got married. It just wouldn't have worked. <laughs> I'll say that, and that's it. I'm trying to be gracious about the situation. Again, we all stumble in many ways. The ancient Greek word translated stumble does not imply a fatal fall, but something that trips us up and hinders our spiritual progress. Again, James included himself in this and saying that he's, he he's stumbles. He stumbles at times, but yet he didn't excuse it. He didn't excuse it in himself, and he didn't excuse it in us. We shouldn't just excuse it away just because, well, well I'm not Jesus. I'm not perfect. That shouldn't be the mindset that we have. Well, might as well. <laughs> might as well. I'm not perfect. It's all good. Jesus will know. He'll, he'll, he'll make accommodations for me. No, the application is this. We all know that we're going to stumble. But we should all press on to a better walk with the Lord, marked by less stumbling. We talk about this all the time here. We should be able to look back and see a progression in our walk with the Lord. We should not be where we were 10 years ago. We should not be where we were 12 months ago. There there should just be a a different hunger, a different desire, a a deeper need for Christ to be our all in all. Every day we live more in this world... As the day draws nigh, we should be just more and more engaged with him. It really should be so, church. It's something that becomes infectious because his desire is to have all of us 100% with us withholding nothing from him. 
Again, he goes on to say, if, if no one doesn't stumble in his words, then he's a perfect man. Again, this is a way to measure spiritual maturity for teachers and for all Christians. Jesus basically says that words are the revelation of our inner character. Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 37 tells us, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his Good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Aren't you so grateful that the Lord Jesus forgives and that he doesn't hold us accountable for what we did back then? You know, I'm so ashamed of the things that ran through my mouth when I was younger and when I thought I knew what I was doing and I was big and bad and I was living this life. Man, it's so shameful, you know, but he forgives and he pardons those things. And we have to remember that church that as this as the scripture points out, he 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 parts it. But we have to have a desire to want to live for him. And then it's all done away with. And we can look forward to goodness and good things from the life vine, the true vine that he is. Amen. Again, to not stumble in words shows true spiritual maturity. We should see a level of maturation in how we speak and how we talk and how we engage with obviously the Lord, but also how we engage with people on a day to day basis, starting with the church and then with everybody else. This is especially relevant to teachers because as a teacher of God's word, we have the opportunity to sin with our tongues <laughs> at every pass. Sometimes I'm up here and it's like, man, I got stuff in my notes and the Lord's just like, or something pops in my head and like, <laughs> it's like, no, don't say that. And then other times I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just going. And then it's the Holy Spirit just takes over and he just starts rattling off things that I didn't even, aren't even in my notes. I wasn't even thinking about, but we have to be aware of this. You see, we stumble in word about ourselves with boasting and exaggerations going on and on in a not healthy way. That can cause us to stumble in our words. We also stumble in word about others with our criticism, with our gossip, with slandering, with our cruelty, with being two-faced, being one way in front of somebody and talking behind their back. That's horrible. May it never be said about us. When we're in anger... <laughs> And it's not a righteous indignation, but we're just angry in our flesh and upset. We stumble in words or with flattering words that are insincere meant to gain favor. You see, we have to be aware of these things, church. This is a mark of spiritual maturity to be aware. If you and I cannot discern what is from the spirit and what is from the flesh, it is if you and I are walking as blind people and we have no idea what's going on. You and I should come to a place where we more and more recognize this is of the spirit and this is from the flesh. And anything from the flesh, we get away from as quick as possible and we replace it with something edifying from the word of God. Amen. Amen. All right. Last three verses. It says, if we put bits into our mouths, into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. 
Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among your members, staining the whole body, set on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Okay, so we see this example of, of a bit a bits being put into horses' mouths so that they may obey. So, you know, to tame a horse, to cause a horse to go where we want it to go. The bit controls a strong horse, a, a horse that is mighty, a, a horse that's powerful, but the bit will keep that horse contained. And then the driver, whoever's sitting upon that horse, can direct the horse where it, they would desire the horse to go. In the same way, a small rudder can turn or will turn a large ship. For people, if we have control over our tongues, this is an indication that we have control over our whole bodies, over our whole selves, with just with the tongue, if we learn to control. You see, again, whoever can control the tongue can bridle the whole body. The application is this. The bit and the rudder are small, but they are extremely important. If they are not controlled, the entire horse is out of control and the entire ship is out of control. It is possible for something as small as the tongue to have tremendous power for either good or for evil. Just think about it. I just think in my own life, when I don't control my tongue, everything gets out of control. Chaos ensues and it affects everybody around me. But when I can control my tongue and humble myself, things end up working out, even if it's painful. And I'll tell you, church, many times controlling your tongue is going to be very painful. <laughs> it's going to cost you something to control your tongue and bite back what in your flesh you would want to lash out at somebody that you felt, well, you deserve it, <laughs> or I'm going to speak this. But to control the tongue is to bring forth life. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 tells us, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. An example. If you don't solve the problem of an unruly horse by keeping it, you excuse me, if you keep a horse in the barn, right? You don't solve the problem. Like, oh, I'm just not going to use the horse <laughs> or, or for the ship. I'm just not going to put the ship on the sea. And, and that'll, con, that'll, that'll control everything. And think about our tongues in the same way. Some people say, I'm going to make a vow of silence. I'm not going to say anything. And then I'll, I'll control my tongue. But it goes deeper than our tongue. It has to do with our heart. It has to do with our thoughts. Right? So if our heart's not right, then our thoughts aren't going to be right. Then what comes out of our mouth is going to be horrible. So we need to understand the, ex the extreme depth of where all of this is coming from. You see, some people have no hand on the reins or the rudder of their tongue. And whatever comes to mind, they just say, they just start blurting out whatever they think. And we know that's all a recipe for disaster. We've all been there. <laughs> we just say whatever comes to mind. Nothing good comes of that. This is extremely foolish. As a child says, whatever he or she thinks, so the adult 
is foolish who does the same. We should be mature. Children, they, you know, they have, they have an out. They're children. They're learning. And I get we're learning too, but we have more years on them. So we should be all the much wiser than children. We shouldn't be talking as children talk. You see, others direct their tongue from their emotions or from the aspects of their carnal nature. And this is also not good. This is not wise. James points us to having the spirit of God working through the new man, setting and directing the hands on the reins of our tongue. And I had a situation like this at work this week. So, um, you know, I had a difficult time with the client and, and um, you know, he's just bashing his head over and over again. And, and I'm like, all right, you know, I start praying <laughs> and I'm not supposed to pray there, but I'm praying. I'm, I'm praying. <laughs> I'm praying for him and, uh, you know, get a moment to, to, to get away. And I, I made a comment to one of my coworkers and, uh, you know, my coworker was like, you know, and he, and, he, and he said it in love, but he's like, I don't I don't think you should be talking about this client in front of him. And <laughs> for a second, I kind of got in my flesh and I didn't even look at him. <laughs> I kind of looked his way like. You talking to me? <laughs> and I walked back. I walked back and did whatever I did. And, and immediately <clears throat> the Holy Spirit put upon my heart that I, I that 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 man was right. And I, I needed to go apologize. And so I humbled myself. And uh, mind you, like I said, just like the text, my tongue got me in trouble. And so I went back to this man. I said, I said, you know what, brother? I said, you're absolutely right. I was totally in the wrong. It was not correct for me to talk about that client in front of them. Because just because they're, they're, they're not neurotypical, they hear stuff. They understand. They're not dumb. You know, they just have certain disabilities. And, and, and I told him, I said, thank you for pointing that out. And, you know, he's a non-believer, but he wasn't tripping. He's like, that's oh, all good, bro. You're, you're good. You're good. I said, but no, nah, man, I needed to apologize to you because I was wrong. I shouldn't have said what I said. And I kid you not, I experience this from time to time, not every time. It's not like the goosebumps. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. And as soon as I apologized and walked away from that man, I felt it. I felt the Holy Spirit, man. He gave me like a surge, like he's just telling me you're good. <laughs> you're, me and you are good, <laughs> right? There's no, there's no wedge between me and the Holy Spirit, between me and God. And, and as quick as I felt it, it was gone. But I knew in that instance, that was the right thing to do. Because the Lord led me to, you know what? Repent, man. Get right with that man. You were wrong. Your tongue. You didn't control your tongue and you got caught up. You shouldn't have did something. I say that as an encouragement to you, church. Because you're going to find yourselves in circumstances, maybe even in a couple hours, where you're going to have the decision to either control your tongue or say something. And if you're not saying something in righteousness, it's going to create some kind of division. And most importantly, between you and the Holy Spirit. We don't want to yeah. grieve the Holy Spirit. We want to be led in all truth. Amen. You know, children are told, sticks and stones <laughs> may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But that children's rhyme isn't true at all. You see, the bitter pain of words spoken ill against someone can last a lifetime, far longer than any physical abuse is the verbal abuse that people receive. Words have power to either lift up and edify or tear down and destroy. 
Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 tells us, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak or spoke. Excuse me. We will be judged by every word that we've said, be it good or evil. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So do you understand, church, why it is so critically important to be walking full of the Holy Spirit moment by moment, day by day? Apart from him, the Bible says the heart of men are deceitfully wicked. Our thoughts are naturally and continually evil. Apart from the Holy Spirit, everything we do is wrong. Everything we do is wrong. So out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And apart from Jesus Christ, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. So you tell me you're sensible people. What kind of words are we going to speak (laughs) if that's the case? We ain't speaking nothing good. The casual sarcasm and critical remark can inflict a lasting injury on another person. But by the same token, a well-timed encouragement or compliment can inspire someone for the rest of their lives. You see, that's where the life comes from. I'm not trying to hammer down on, on the negative, but we have to have a healthy balance here. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 18 through 19 tells us, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. <laughs> I'm only joking? What do you mean? You see, the tongue is a fire and a world of iniquity. It's very interesting when you look at it because there aren't many sins that don't involve talking in some kind of way. Even go back to the garden. You see, Satan is, I don't want to say, I don't ever want to give him (laughs) the word of master, but he is very good at uh, 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 saying, you know, consider <laughs> he 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 always says consider you know consider did god <laughs> did god say you know he's always trying to get you and i to consider and when we fall into that line of thinking of considering it's never a good thing again this this goes back to the point of there's not many sins that don't involve talking in some kind of way the serpent talked <laughs> eve took Heed to what he said, forgot about what God said, and here we are. (laughs) It's like all the wickedness of the whole world were wrapped up in one little piece of flesh. The tongue. The tongue. I'm going to end this message with several scriptures. and, 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 And I sense and see it important because I want you to understand this is not my opinion. This is clearly what the word of God says. And so we must take it serious. And we also must expect and have a view that you're going to be rewarded this side of heaven for controlling your tongue and for speaking words of life and for being a blessing. You will be blessed. So I'm going to read these off. And then when I'm done in the next couple of minutes, then Isaiah and Michelle, please come up. So Psalm chapter 73, verse nine says, They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. That's all those who are prideful that say there is no God. Even though all creation screams there's a creator, they set their mouths against heaven. Well, they're talking. They're running their mouths, bumping their gums. Psalm chapter 52 verse 2 says, Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. 
May it never be said that we are this person. <laughs> we don't want to be a worker of deceit. We want to be the exact opposite. You know, we want to plot life. We want to, we want to plot things that are going to grow for the glory and honor of God. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 through 21 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Prudent is a very important thing. I know nowadays to call somebody a prude, it seems like they take it as a, you know, disrespect, but to be prudent is very important and it's a good thing. It's biblical. Verse 20 says, The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but the fools die for lack of sense. So you see right there, if you are righteous in Christ and you use your words in righteousness to honor and glorify God, you will actually feed many. Think of all the people you speak life into. It doesn't matter if they receive it. What your responsibility and my responsibility is, is to speak life. Let the Lord build up and save who he desires to save. But you and I must be responsible for what we say. May we never be accused of bringing death to someone. May we be the ones that bring life. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word makes him glad. (laughs) Had a co-worker, an older lady, she's moving to Texas. And, uh, you know, I find myself witnessing to her a lot and uh, she's saved, but, you know, she's younger in the faith and I'm always encouraging her. She's, you know, she's uh, her Friday was her last day and she was dreading going, but she's going to be with her daughter. She has no other blood family over here. So she's moving to Texas, moving to Austin. And uh, she's like, I got anxiety. I'm anxious. I said, don't come into agreement with that unclean spirit. I said, that's an unclean spirit trying to drag you down. The unclean spirit of anxiety. I told her, man, remember Joshua 1.9. What did the Lord say to Joshua? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then the lady started breaking down. Or right at work. Breaking, she's just breaking down. But it's like, that's what the Lord led me to tell her. Be encouraged. Don't let this unclean spirit of anxiety. And here in this verse, it says anxiety in a man's heart. It weighs you down. You feel like you can't do anything. It's because that unclean spirit is trying to render you ineffective. I keep teaching that because that is what the Lord keeps showing me. Demons cannot do anything to you unless you allow yourself to come into agreement with their falsehood. You have the power of the Holy Spirit within you. You can tread on serpents. You must be... Gentle as a dove and shrewd as a serpent. (laughs) But you have all authority in you through the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome any obstacle in your way. You and I are invincible in Jesus Christ. We must believe that, church. We must have a vision for that. And lastly, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. A word, a timely word spoken is so good to you and I. And it does so much good for us. May we repent of our lack of control of our tongues. And may we learn through the power of the Holy Spirit to control our speech and to speak words of truth every day of our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Abba God, thank you once again for a time that you meet with us corporately as 
you're the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. We are so thankful for your presence in our lives. Lord, we long for you. You are the only one that can keep us. We can't even keep ourselves. We are so thankful that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. May we be those that take the yoke of your son Jesus upon us. May we not try to do it in our own strength, but may we humbly submit to your will and authority in our lives. Father, I pray a blessing of anointing to fall upon your people. May we be those that truly live and honor you. Would you guard our minds and our hearts? Would you protect us from every scheme of the enemy? May we only come into agreement with your truth. May we be filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lord, may it be evident in how we live and how we speak. Father, we thank you. And we praise you in the mighty name of your son, Yeshua, we pray. Amen.